0: Hello, I'm Aubrey Hicks, Executive Director of the Pedrosian Center, and you are listening to the Book Club Podcast. For our last few reads, we've been looking at how connection can help us build a better future, whether it be with global climate change or in our own neighborhoods. So today, I think we're sort of, but not really, <laughs> switching gears. Um, we've read The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon, and It's the story of a young boy who encounters a book that changes his life forever. And in his search to find out more about the author and his life, his life and the author's lives begin to parallel. It's sort of a mystery, a romance, a story within a story within a story. So I'm really excited that I have two fabulous women to join me. Um, First, Caroline, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then also maybe why you chose to read this book with us?
1: Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm Caroline Bala, and I'm the Managing Director of the Price Center for Social Innovation here at USC in the School of Public Policy. And um, I chose this book, Aubrey, because I always like to read the fiction that you um, that you put forward in the Bedrosian podcasts. Um, and I have read other, um, what I thought was similar authors before. Um, I can say I've never read anything like this, but... Um, <laughs> I, and I and I never read um, books written by men. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity to read a male author. Um, so that's why I chose it.
0: And I hope it went, uh, your reading experience was better than the last one that I chose. It was. <laughs> good. We, uh, uh, so Carla, um, can you tell our listeners who you are and uh, why you chose to read this book with us?
2: I'm Carla Delegata. I'm an assistant professor of English at Florida State University, and previously I was an assistant professor of theater at the University of Southern California. Um, My work is largely um, on Spanish language or um, Latinx type of drama, but I spent... I've spent about three years of my life in Spain, mostly in Madrid and in in a more kind of central Spanish area. I don't speak Catalan, which is the language they speak in Barcelona, but I've spent a number of years there. And um, so this novel I've heard of, and I've never had the opportunity or made the opportunity to read, but I've studied a lot of Borges. And so I was curious, and this seemed like a wonderful um, kind of excuse to finally read something I'm behind on since I mostly read plays and not novels.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. Um, so just a little bit of background. Um, Caroline joined us just last month for, um, a book called The Nature of Desert Nature. Um, which was a series of essays sort of that I really thought was going to be about our relationship to the desert. And, um, it was not exactly living up to expectations. So I wonder, uh, going into this, did you guys have any, did you women have any expectations? Um, did it meet your expectations? Did you just go in blind?
2: I had heard of this book for years, and then the author passed away suddenly, suddenly yeah. last year. And I remember reading some articles in, in different publications who who compared his work to Tolstoy and Dickens and Borges and Umberto Eco and Gabriel Garcia Marquez and it seemed to be this whole long list of kind of diverse authors um, and so I I was curious like how does he hearken on all of them or some of them and where do I agree more so I I think for me I was looking for that and. Um, and I was not let down. So <laughs> I, I understand um, what was meant by that, but, but I also have not gone back to Ruby Tolstoy uh, any time in the last 25 years. So I'm not sure how much I can make those connections, but I, I was able to kind of go back to those articles, to those eulogies and obituaries and, and see what people were saying about him.
1: Yeah, I um, I think that I, I thought it would be something uh, similar to a Marquez novel with a lot of magic realism. Um, when I saw the cover, I thought it would be a detective story. And then the first couple of uh, chapters made me think that I was right, that it was going to be kind of a detective story. Um, so what I got was, I feel like much more of a, um, much more sweeping than that, right? And really with the... Um, it was it was much more complicated than I thought it was going to be, so I was very pleasantly surprised,
0: so let's start with the settings. so um, I have never been to Spain, let alone Barcelona, so um it is set during the spanish civil war um, in Barcelona. Just I feel like that setting is really important to the story. Um What do you think?
2: Uh, well, well, of course it is because because there's been the second the second world war kind of on this outer um, kind of space of Europe and and the parts that allude to and and kind of take place in Paris. There's this without a direct. Um, Without a direct hearkening on on what has gone on in the rest of Europe and in a large part of the world, that that setting is there, and then you kind of have this more insular war that that's going on at the time that affects all these ideas about masculinity, and um, and about place and space, like the places that are are kind of personal spaces and, and archives. I kept on thinking of private archives and where memory was stored when a lot of things were being destroyed. And this whole idea of spies and mystery and things like that, and not knowing who you're able to trust, where, where the novel kind of grounds it in, in places that we can recognize today and, and places that have become famous. The Four Gats, or the Four Cats Cafe is still, is now actually kind of a tourist place because it has all this history. So in the novel, it is famous for people, real people, Picasso and all these artists who had been there before. And then it takes on a new meaning during, during the Spanish civil war and today it still exists. So I felt like um, it, for me. Yes, the Spanish Civil War has much to do with what's going on in the novel, but also kind of being in between these different historical periods at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, I and I was wondering um I mean this is written in Spanish and it first comes out in 2001 and so obviously the audience who's reading it then um especially in Spain um would have that understanding, but it's it's the audience whose parents and grandparents would have passed on that information, right? And so it I don't know. There was something more about history and how we gain that and who we gain it from more mm-hmm. so than the Spanish Civil War. It's kind of like um, you know reading Mrs. Dalloway and saying it's an anti-war novel because mm-hmm. Wolf doesn't you know mention it directly, that that its presence is felt even if the day in day out aspect is not mentioned,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I think for me, i um I felt that the war was a a character in the book, but not a main character. And what I mean by that is for me, I, my, um, ignorance of the Spanish civil war didn't get in the way, right? Right. Sometimes when I'm reading a book that takes place in a country that I have not been to with a history that I don't understand, I can feel like I'm on the back foot the whole time. Um, and I didn't feel that way in this one. I, I felt that the war, like when I read, um, I recently read Isabella Allende's, um, long pedal of the sea and that's very much about, you know, a particular conflict and you really have to understand the conflict, um, to get the book. Um, I didn't feel that way here. I feel like, like my, what little understanding I have was enough to get by um, that it was, you know, it was an actor in the book, but not the main point. That's how I would describe it.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking as you both were talking, um, in, in some ways, I felt like it could be any war. Um, you know, the, and, and, you know, I think what you said, Carla, about changing roles of masculinity, um seems like there's really something there. Um, particularly with all of the relationships between fathers and sons and and, you know, um male friendship that um sort of erode during this. Um, I was also thinking, you know, um very early on, uh, the main character who's like 10 at the time, Daniel, um, you know, he wants to get this pen who that supposedly belong, belong to Victor Hugo. And, you know, when I think of Victor Hugo, I'm also thinking of a story of another civil war, uh, in France and, um, that it's not really there. It's not really mentioned, but, you know, there is that, um, that sort of repetition of that sort of theme, um, throughout and, you know, how we remember things. So how we remember wars and, you know, is they Mis how most people know about the French Revolution, you know, today. I don't know that that's true, but um particularly in America, it could be
2: well yes and and i recall les mis is not set during quote the french revolution yeah. that we study it's kind of this right. other smaller french revolution right, right. much um, as in the same way that pretty much mo- what most people know about their british history comes from shakespeare right so mm-hmm. um it kind of the stories get told and retold and and that myth becomes the history so so uh, yeah i i agree that i think that's a wonderful way of stating it that it's a character in the novel but even um what I much of what I've learned that I've forgotten about the Spanish Civil War and the details are not necessary to the novel, which I think is really one of the the wonderful aspects of the writing that it can take you into a setting without making you feel displaced if you haven't studied
0: and how war doesn't necessarily impact everyone the same way um, you know that there is you know there's a war going on there's multiple wars going on in some in some aspects um. And yet, you know, your everyday life is generally the same unless you're at on the front, you know. Um, that changes depending on where you are, but um, generally life goes on.
2: And and we do get, when he first encounters Fermin, right, he thinks, oh, I thought he was just another homeless man. Um, I thought he was just another beggar. I think that's what the term he uses. And And we see someone who's been... Through trauma, right, and and then he kind of very quickly, once he's given the opportunity, can become this model citizen. But he still has an outbreak when he's in the pension um, of screaming, and and something has happened to him. And so we get this hint of the way trauma carries forward, right? But again, it's not necessarily specific to one thing, and we don't, we are not privy to what he. Has been delusional about and what he's screaming about it that that can be applied or placed onto anyone else's type of trauma,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and there's so many other kinds of trauma in this as well that get you know the the trauma of parents that gets passed down to children. Um, And I don't even know how to begin talking about sort of really getting into the characters and plot because it's so much a story within a story within a story. You know, you've got you've got our main sort of character, um, I think, is Daniel. Um, it could also be Julian, which is the author that Daniel's sort of seeking. And so so much of the action is driven by Julian. But the the villains are also, <laughs> you know, really driving the the story as well. Um, it's just, there's, there's so much going on. Um, I think you said it really well, Carolyn, that it's, that, um, you know, I was going to ask, you know, if you thought it was more of a mystery or romance, but I think the way you said it's sort of all of those and more, um, is probably better than I would
1: ever, (laughs) would ever say it. Um. But it's also like a um, coming-of-age story, mm-hmm. right, both for Daniel and the five friends from that um, institution where they all went to school together and how they all ended up. Um, <clears throat> and I also think, um, you know, it was very romantic. The setting was very romantic when you guys were talking about Barcelona. Yeah. Um, I just think that the way it was written, you couldn't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times did you go back and think this is, this is not right. Like this can't be true. So we can do spoilers in this, right? Everyone. Yes.
0: Yes. We can do spoilers. (laughs) And
1: yes, we can also curse. Sorry, everybody. If you have, you have to read the book, but up until the very end, I wasn't sure about Fermin. I was not sure about him. And then when he drags him into the car, I was like, of course I was wrong. But they just, you never could trust anybody. They're all, they were all liars. Not all of them, but there were a lot of liars in this book.
0: Well, and one of the, the main liars tells Daniel not to trust anyone. Not even her.
1: Yeah. 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 And then she wrote a whole story that we all read. hmm And I'm like, yeah. are we believing this? Are we believing this? It was interesting. I just thought that was really, um Yeah as
2: someone who doesn't read this is the second novel i've read in the last 10 years more than 10 years because i read so many plays and so much theory it, it was actually kind of flexing a muscle that i've missed um and I read some, um, some of Borges' short stories, but really I it's only yeah, it's only the second novel I've read at least in a decade. And um, and what a wonderful experience to kind of go into, especially at the end of being so isolated. I'm hoping it's at the end. But, but one of the things is that you get introduced to these characters. So right at the beginning, I'm like, oh, this is about his relationship with Clara, you know, <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. she's going to be this elusive love interest and she's 10 years older. And then we're quickly, he's aging kind of fairly quickly in the first 75 pages ages or something I'm like so he'll be of age and then and then you're like no that's not what the story is about and so in many ways that there's the circularity and then there's this when I think about the structure this aspect of the the Russian dolls that kind of fit into um, each other and and there's all these these different ways of interweaving and that we can talk about but there's also like there's a there's a plot line or there's a connection and then it it's severed Right. And there's another connection and then it goes into the shadows. Right. And then it emerges. And in some ways that kind of just feels like what life is about um, mm-hmm. in that sense, that you think when you're 14 that this is the connection and mm-hmm. you're wrong. Right. And so, yes, I agree. Many people are liars, but yes. also the the connection. You're like, well, nope, that wasn't it. And in the very end, he says, I like to tell myself that, you um, childhood friends kind of disappear out of your life for, for no reason, but I I know that I'm wrong. Right. I'm like, no, there were good reasons why you you and your friend are no longer friends. Right. And you, and I just thought it was this kind of this wonderful moment in which he recognizes as a narrator that, that, yeah, it's kind of his fault. So I'm I'll say, I'll say right here, I have it marked. He says um, about his friend Tomas, um, Although he always sends me his regards, I know I lost him forever years ago. I like to think that life snatches away our childhood friends for no reasons, but I don't always believe it.
0: Right.
2: Mm -hmm. And it's written as if life does this and he doesn't believe life rather than taking the responsibility that he has made that aspect of his life what it is.
0: Mm -hmm. So I guess um, that feels like a good way into... this sort of thing that I was thinking about. Um, so I did read it probably about a decade ago. Um, and I was telling Caroline before we got on that, um, uh, the cemetery of forgotten books was a much larger memory than a lot of the other pieces of the story. Um, which is why I wanted to pair it with, um, our next read, which is the, the brutish museum. Um, And it turns out that it's, it's not really, I mean, you know, it's um, this beautiful, mysterious place. And it sort of starts, it's where Daniel finds the book, which is the shadow of the wind. Um, And so it starts this journey to find out about the author. Um, But in many ways, you know, the way Julian's story and the way Daniel's story, as Daniel is living it, and uncovering it the way they parallel um, seems, you know, like we've been talking about recently how history repeats itself. And if we don't learn from history, um, we're bound to repeat it. Um, my sense is that Daniel learned a bit from Julian's history. Um, do you think he did? Is that why his ending is happy? Is his happy?
1: <laughs> well, I, def- I definitely thought he had a happy ending. And I love a book that ties up um, ties up things so nicely. And it is a very, I don't know if it's a Russian thing to do. Someone who knows more about it can tell me. But there's these long books that end with this last three pages where it's like, and then this happened, and then they had babies, and everyone went happily ever after. And I walk away, and I'm like, great. All is right in the world. Very good. So I do think he had a happier ending. Um, I wonder if he learned...
2: Um, what do you think, Carla? Yes, I mean, the, the book starts when he's so young that it would be strange that if he didn't learn anything, right? And even in his relationships and his romantic relationships, we do see it, I guess you could call it an evolution, um, from being infatuated with the wrong person who's twice his age to actually, you know, um, being with his Best friend, former best friend, sister—you know. So I guess he didn't branch out a lot, but um, but nonetheless, you know, he grows and he he does for for when we talk about the male quest, right? For a boy who's lost his mother um, and doesn't have many female role models, um, and and I do hope we do get to talk about the women in this novel. Oh, we need to. Wow. Oh, yeah, we definitely need to. But um, but as he goes through life, he does love. Right. You know, and, and he learns to love successfully, I guess, you know, in, in like a long term, if, if that's how we define success and it ends where he has love for his son. So he, I mean, so in that sense, he absolutely learns and, and it seems a by far more healthy relationship with the people around him. So in that sense, um I, I agree that he does learn and that he does grow. Um But again, that passage that I just read, he, it's like life does this to friends and like, mm-hmm. or you. Right. And, and, and I think that that's important as well. So where, where he's learned and where he was willing to grow. But but back to his friend Tomas, he was always on the back burner. Once, once Daniel met Clara, once he started to mature in any way that we talk about maturation, his male friend was not important.
0: Yeah. I, I, and in some ways, I think um, he feels like it's his relationship with. Beatrice, that is the thing that broke his relationship with Tomas, and not that he ignored him <laughs> for years, it seems like. Um, yes, yeah, so let's talk about the women. <laughs> where to begin? Um, yeah, where to
1: begin? Where to I want a couple of words um, to describe the women in this book uh, blind, whores, vapid, cast offs, and angelic. That's how I started my list.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of angel and demon sort of symbolism in this, um, even though it seems like our narrator is not religious at all. That is a very good place to start.
2: Well, I don't want to detract because I do want to talk about the women, But the, the angel and demon stuff, which is a, a separate conversation, I, I kind of see that as the the long-standing grip of the Catholic Church and religiosity that even still today in Spain um, religion kind of gets equated to Catholicism and especially during the Spanish Civil War and with its legacy the quieting uh, by the church of trauma right of, of anything that was problematic and and what is the relationship what it, I mean, many different nations of people ask this question: What is the relationship to God when you see trauma and suffering all around you, right? You know, and then what is the relationship to organized religion when they tell you not to talk about it? So, so those kind of things that that are going on. But as the and of course the role of women in the Catholic Church, in, let's say in the 1940s in Spain. Um, but every time there was a woman mentioned, it even a passing kind of a passing description of a woman, it was just. I, I mean, not not hysterical, but here's a moment from. Um, at one point, uh, I think this is from who says, um, when he asks Daniel, "Do you know anything about women?" And Daniel says, "I don't know much about them, honestly." He's quite young, and he says, "Nobody knows much about women. Not even Freud. Not even women themselves." I'm like, really? Um, and and he goes on to say, "But it's like electricity. You don't have you don't have to know how it works to get a shock on the fingers." I'm like. And these are characters, this is not the author, but there's this attitude of like, eh, you don't really need to know, right? And um, I laughed, actually. So it's great when you're reading to laugh out loud, but I'm not sure, I wasn't sure... and this also has something to do with my questions of translation. As someone who works in translation, like I'm wondering how this humor is carrying forward for me 20 years after this book is written. Um, and and I I've spent a lot of time in Spain, but I you know I'm not from there originally. And so anyway, but I did laugh out loud. I was like, I'm glad for slamming Freud. Yes, okay, true. But <laughs> but I do think that there are women who know about women, and that it is, right, you know, and that it is important. Um, but this this very kind of masculine perspective of like mm-hmm. you don't need to know is spot on um and you know for the character that it's being um, applied to
0: well it also seems so hysterical in that um the men in this book don't really seem to know about men either you know <laughs> um and for me i i have to say um what an interesting character. Now he seemed to really love women too, even though he doesn't understand it.
2: Well, no. He he more it's kind of more like um appreciar to appreciate women, right? Like when he <laughs> goes to the movies and he's and he's like, oh, Carol oh. Lombard. He didn't mm-hmm. like the movies until he saw her figure, right? You know, and um the bosoms, and, yes. <laughs> and a lot of men, a lot of people felt that way too. He wasn't the only mm-hmm. one, right? So um, and this whole idea of of the visual and and cinema and TV and watching, right? Versus reading and creating your own mind. But um, yes, he does like women. Um, certain aspects of them, for sure.
1: Uh, yeah, I um, I also looked up the translator when uh, one of the passages. I was like, "Is this what he wrote? <laughs> like, how did it look like?" I, I did wonder if she was sort of um, what she was thinking, right? It was translated by a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was like, I wonder what she made of this, man. Because the the way, yes, the way they describe women is um parts of it were very funny, but for the most part, it was pretty um, you know, just um, you know, it was all about looks. And and we never we never got to know what Daniel looked like, right? Like I kept no. thinking, when are they gonna describe what Daniel looks like so we could know, you know, how all these beautiful women who all these beautiful women are um you know reacting to, but we never heard.
0: Well, And there were some really strange things. I mean, uh, upon rereading, you know, in the beginning when he, you know, meets Clara, he's 10. Who talks to a 10 year old like that? (laughs) It felt very creepy. Um,
2: Oh, I took all of that. I'm sorry. Here's, here's one. I'm sorry. One more of my favorites about women. Um, He'd always wanted one of his children to join the Civil Guard and none of my seven sisters would have qualified for that despite the facial hair problem that characterized all the women on my mother's side of the family. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for including that, right? Um, but but you know, but we laugh because it, because the way that it's written is is funny. And when you're mm-hmm. writing this whole long tome of the male quest, the the jokes at women's expenses are are I think problematic. But also the humor that comes across in in our in as I keep on saying, like. In what masculinity was like? This this does not seem out of place. Like it seems completely apropos for the characters and for the time. Um, and and now, Aubrey, I've forgotten what you've asked or mentioned that I was about to comment on
0: before I interrupted. Clara my- and the creepiness oh. of talking to a ten year old. Like well, when she I does. first
2: thought that that's what this book was going to be about. I'm like, you know she can't see and he, he sees for her, right? And he can read for her and um, and that's part of like what that relationship is. Like she has these other people in her life who can help her move through society, which has a whole disability implication, but nonetheless, right? Especially in Spain in the 1940s, you would need some people to kind of help you maneuver through society. Um, but then when we get to the man with the burnt out face, Right. I was thinking about about features, right, and who can see them and who doesn't have them, and then whose are not described and when we talk about the way that these stories meld into each other, um I guess I would I don't have a conclusion about that, but I felt that they were strongly related why the, why the book started with her right was mm. who cannot see um, and and where it goes from there why is it important to make that to make that female character blind
0: mm-hmm. um, in, it interestingly enough, um, now this could be totally inaccurate, but in my mind, Clara like wears a veil and is very covered uh, until she's very uncovered. <laughs> um, and he discovers um, her having sex and you know that is the end of the the relationship. Um, and I don't know if that's actually true, but um, for some reason, um, it, you know, that sort of very Madonna like, um, very chaste, um, and in that she couldn't see as well. There's, there was something very veiled, and, um, um, I imagine if I were going to make this into a film, I would put that beautiful soft filter on her, um, like the light behind you, Caroline. The, um, but I don't know if that's accurate or if it's just a feeling that I got that, you know, this is how Daniel was sort of seeing this, this character. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I feel like I don't know, you don't really know many of the women very well
1: at all. No, you really don't. I didn't think of her as a, um, as a veiled character. I just, I really thought of her as, um, you know his the the first time he fell in love with somebody, you know, and just that feeling when he read, what it, it was like. The line is like, um, "She she wrecked me" or something. She, you know, she it stayed with me forever or something. And I thought, ah, oh, the first time you fall in love, it's like you're that little. I'll, I'll try to find it, but that was that's how I thought of her. Just too beautiful for words,
2: right? And and there is a line where he says, you know, the first woman because of because she cannot see like who who he can look at without without you know feeling ashamed right whose face he can scrutinize and that's a big thing too even for just any young person to be able to stare deeply at an adult you know at some type of Mm -hmm. authority and and the the woman who I was curious about who we do learn something about is Nuria right um because she's smart and capable and she doesn't get to marry the love of her life um and then it doesn't go well for her Right. Um, like, so we get this kind of um, like, okay, here's a woman who's, you know, we get a bit more of a round character and, and she suffers for the male quest. Yes. And and that's more so than any, like kind of the comical bits and the, 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 you know, how women are described or anything like that. That was the one that, that bothered me. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, it's such, such a tragedy and she makes all these compounding decisions to keep going with the tragedy. Like she keeps choosing that. Um, She knows that he's in love with someone else and is still going to go and spend, you know, a week with him in Paris and pine for him forever.
1: Yeah. Forever.
0: And die for him in so many ways. Um, Why? (laughs) Why? And you know, B too at the like. I don't know. I have no idea why Daniel's in love with her.
2: Because when he first sees her as a woman, right, he walks in to see a professor who's. And, and I don't have it tag the line where he's like, oh, a professor oh, yeah. who's studying a female st- or pretending to be interested in what a female student is saying while, you know, looking at her body. And again, he's watching the men for the cues. Right. right? And then he comes back from something and he comes to the bookstore and Fermin's like, oh, your fiance stopped by. He's like, fiance. And he's like, yeah, well, this woman doing it. he's like, okay. You know, And and it almost seems to be that they are, the other men are giving him the story of here's the attractive woman for you. Like, he doesn't look at her himself and say, wow. And he does, right? You know, like my, my friend's sister has matured or I'm now noticing her, right? And he has the jealousy. She's going to marry this guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and so he has that response, but where he's getting the the stories of love and the look of sensuality actually comes from other men's cues initially. and And that I see as kind of an immature love, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where... This is the popular girl, and everybody thinks she's attractive. So I must therefore think she's attractive too. And and his character is young at that point, but nonetheless, that's why I I keep on kind of going back to the issues of, of what manhood is. And if mm. he didn't have the social cues from other people, would they have ended up
1: together? And why doesn't he like his dad? Seems like such a nice guy, like such a stand-up guy, right? He really like, loved his loved and respected yeah. his mother but we don't hear much from him, or maybe he doesn't make much of an impression. Why is
0: that? I was gonna say, it feels to me like he sees his dad as, as frail and old and broken, um, heartbroken. And that's why he's looking for all these other sort of masculine role models. Um, and yet his father is, you know, one of the most decent characters um, in the whole novel.
2: Um, His father is just, to me, the symbol of the past, right, the living symbol of the past. And when he says, oh, I saw the way other women, you know, they're attractive widows in the community, and I know that a few had kind of looked at my father, and he brought it up, and dad's like, I... Only loved your mother, I have no interest in loving anyone else. It, it's very, we can, you know, applaud that, right? But his father's kind of not living in the present. And we right. get from the very beginning about this um Mont Blanc pen or whatever that he wants. And we, we, um, we as readers, and Daniel have to wait years in order mm-hmm. for him to get it, right? The gift that he gets on his 16th birthday was something they've been looking at for a long period of time. And the father runs the old bookshop and he kind of never moves forward and when he bathes Fermin right you know and that's the the next kind of child right that he has but who's also an old like a, a middle-aged and older man as well and so I and when we take I kept on thinking of Jungian archetypes you know and Fermin is kind of like the wise old fool kind of Yoda you know like he's kind of funny and he's kind of super smart right you know and um and we get this father figure who is more of a father figure than a father, right? And, and he's, he starts us off. He takes us to the, the cemetery, forgotten books. He, he you know, pulls in all of these places and then just fades out so that it can become Daniel's story. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not his father's story. So um, that's just how I saw him functioning in the novel.
1: but. That makes a whole lot of sense. I wish I would have talked to you like a couple weeks ago. I know, right? <laughs> really, because I told Aubrey when we started, "What am I going to say about this book?" I just finished it too. Like, I wish I could have read it twice, because I think I would be a lot more interesting and smarter. But I want to think about the <laughs> um, the quest more, right? So I do a lot of um, I really love tarot and tarot readings, and you always use the um, the um, the quest. As part of the basis for the reading, so I'm going to think about that a little bit and how it fits into the book, and how maybe some of the other characters are some of the other folks in the um, in the archetypes, because I think that would be helpful to, um, you know, help guide me through it. Because I hadn't thought about the dad as someone who was a relic of the past, but certainly he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more well, not to take
2: everything to Star Wars, although I believe I'm capable of doing so, right? But when an empire strikes back, we have the division of the father figure from kind of the evil lord, right? Because we have the introduction of the emperor. So here we get Julian, or how do you say it? Lane? Lane? I don't know how, I, I don't, um, excuse my French. Um, anyway, so we get this character who is burnt out face dark stalking like you know scary and so forth and then we have the father and if the father were intimidating because he's older in and this matter and mysterious and takes us to the mysterious place we get this kind of separation and so all of these different male figures and and as i said fermin the, the homeless man he says these kind of funny stuff and then he says this wise stuff and we get we get kind of the separation of all of these influences as he goes along right um so so in, in other quest stories, you have to leave the father and go find the love, right, you know, and here he he gets the shadowy figure and, and he gets kind of the, the quiet in the background father and they permit him to go forward, um, although he goes forward back into both of their histories.
0: Right, well and in some ways Julian, because he's also Lane, I'm going to say Lane because I'm thinking of Better Off Dead Lane Myers, um, <laughs> sorry <laughs> i can't help it um they're one in the same and in some ways julian and lane are also father figures in a way um for daniel um and the sort of dichotomy that they're one and the same but julian is is um very fair-skinned and Um, sort of bright and beautiful, whereas Lane is very, you know, he's got burns and very dark and uh, clearly evil. Um, And the Fermin character, you know, it's interesting because um, I have not, I will put it on the table, I have not read Don Quixote. Um, It is very long. Um, I always want to, and then I always find something else to read. but what I know of the story, you know, the Don Quixote has that sort of fool character with him. And, and it felt to me like there, there were so many of these callbacks to, um, classic literature. Um, Julian's cat is named Kurtz, <laughs> which I, you know, all those little things I just love, but they're all very masculine stories. Um, you know, Don Quixote has some women in it, but they're just the, you know, the MacGuffins, the thing that that Don Quixote is is uh, trying to get to, right? Um, and I don't think there's a single female character in Heart of Darkness. Um, I could be wrong, but um, maybe the boats, the boats are female. <laughs> um, and so I, I think. The way you're talking about it, Carla, in, in terms of masculinity, I think this is very much an exploration of that. Um, and all the literature that he seems to be pointing to, and I, I know that I do not, that I did, that I missed a lot of allusions, um, particularly since it's uh, a Spanish novel and I haven't read, um, many Spanish classics. So, um, But to get back to the women, it, it does seem like they're really just, as I say, MacGuffins again, they really are, um, even Nuria, who, you know, so much of the story towards the end, you know, it's a, you know, it's a good, it feels like a quarter of the story, but it's, it's a little less than a quarter, but it's a big portion of the story, which is, you know, written as a letter to Daniel. Um, and even then, you know, I don't, we get to know her a little bit but it's it's all about her relationship to julian um as you know i keep saying as this father figure but it, it does seem to me that that um what you said about him being daniel's actual father being the past even though julian has been in the past and he's learning about it it, it does feel very much like i don't know where i'm going with that <laughs> well it,
2: in the quixote um in the two books of the quixote that are published like 10 years apart um in the second in the second book of the quixote um alonso quijano who thinks he's don quixote um is talking about the fame and the success of Don Quixote, kind of part one, right? And so so the character in the novel is, is also commenting on the novel, right? And you get that, um, especially with publication. And so that's where this Quixote kind of thing comes in. And Dulcinea, who he fantasizes about, is a figment of his imagination. And so, and so, um, and the woman, the, that you know, if you're saying, "Oh, going to the princess, like I will get the, you know, the beautiful love," it actually isn't important whether she exists or not because the story is about the male quest, right? And so that that's kind of, yeah, that's where I position this too. Except that he gets married, right? And she she exists, and and unsurprisingly, I mean, this wasn't going to end where they had a daughter. I mean, that's <laughs> never going to happen, right? Um, so. And, and I mean, I love Bruce Springsteen, but it's like my hometown, right? It starts off where he's on his father's lap and ends where he's got a son on his lap. And I'm like, ah, you know, the stories that we were all told. I'm like, where are the ladies? Um, But but this is just kind of, you know,
1: our our Western culture. So, Yeah, it's kind of a bummer, isn't it? Like, I mean, really, you know, I, I was reading about this book and it was, it says it's like, he's like, the, it's like one of the most famous um, Spanish novels ever, and like 15 million copies have been um, written and read, and I just thought, like, um, these things keep b- being repeated over and over and over and over and over again. This isn't an old book, right? This isn't something that... I mean, it's 20 years old, but... <laughs> you no, know, even that, though, right? It's not Don Quixote, yeah. right? Like, I mean, it's the 21st century, yeah. yeah. And it's, 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 you know, it's anyway, so yeah, I was sort of, I wasn't, I'm not gonna say I was surprised, but this is what I mean about reading books by men. Mm-hmm. Is there ever gonna be one that's not this way? I'm not saying I've read them all, but I do feel like I'm never surprised when I read them. Let's put it that way.
2: Well, I'll I'll make a pitch for theater. I have seen some, and I've read, I've seen um, both some plays that kind of shift that very much shift away from that. Um, even, and I think one of the the questions that's um, kind of come up too is about this being a turn of the century book, which feels so long ago now, right? You know, when we're on the cusp of the millennium. Um, But I think about um, Jose Rivera's Metasol, um, and he wrote this play kind of right at the same time that Tony Kushner writes Angels in America. And Kushner's play mostly focuses, they're both set in like kind of New York post-apocalyptic or magical um things happen but Kushner's play focuses on AIDS and um and Rivera's play focuses on homelessness and they actually kind of work together and Rivera there's it snows on stage there are elements of what people would call magical realism but it has um when the main character is a is a New Yorkican is a Puerto Rican yeah, um, named Marisol and there and she has a female friend and then the one male character the six I think six male characters are all played by one actor so you actually have more women kind of you know than you do men and there's an angel with an Uzi and it's, it's anyway it's really kind of fantastic right um but it but it repositions that but in order to do that it has to be quasi futuristic and not real and so we have these spectacular elements inside this novel but it made me think a lot um about about structure and about what what you can do to or what the conventions are for writing something for a stage that continuously gets remade with every performance and every production versus writing a novel that remains rather static unless it goes into new translation, right? So I think for me, I was thinking more about styles of writing um, and conventions of that um, than than anything else. So.
1: That's super helpful. I mean, I think um, I probably have read plays in college and maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, no, I was going to say two or three, but I haven't in the last, but I've read probably, I don't know how many novels. And um, and so it's, it's helpful to think about other modes of delivery that, that allow for more um, like, you know, nuanced perspectives, I guess. I guess I just wonder if, if everyone takes issue with the way that he portrayed women or if, if only some do, like, and what I mean by that is, is it, are we noticing these things because this is the kind of things that we notice or would everybody notice that? Is there, and I, I don't know if you have an answer to that. It's just something that I think about.
0: You know, when I read it 20 years ago, um, I noticed it, um, but it hits me different, differently now. Um, you Some of the reviews that I, the early reviews uh, that came out in 2001, um, 2004, when it was translated, um, you know, are actually much more negative than I thought <laughs> that they were. You know, like it doesn't it doesn't get there and, you know, and they were questioning uh particularly the female characters. Um, you know, and in terms of male novelists, I think there, you know, there are a lot more novelists today uh that are able to look at diversity and inclusion in a very different way than, you know, um I would say particularly younger male authors. Um but I I, I think yes and no you to your I mean I think that you know some people just read it and, and don't ever question you know. Um but I don't think it's just us. Because <laughs> it's things we think about.
2: <laughs> I think too with um kind of engaging with these older modes of storytelling which is fantastic right um and the, the way that he the way that the author does that I think is is virtuosic right um but also these older modes of storytelling are predominantly male and that's that's mm-hmm. what the history is so to break from that narrative cycle it still goes in a type of linear order right we're not jumping back and forth in time right um mm-hmm. so much or it we go a little bit, but you know, still the way that it's structured when you look at the the subheadings or the, the chapter kind of breakdown, like you kind mm-hmm. of go forward. And then at the end there's like, here's how everything wraps up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I read that there are several, there are three different sequels to this. And so I have no idea um, how they all kind of work together. And so that would be a bigger maze to, to, to put oh. together. Um, but in order to break from the male quest, right? Like either, um, two people fall in love um, or a stranger comes to town. There are kind of, you know, there's this idea, like there are only so many stories to tell. I'm like, well, actually there's more stories than that. And um, and and we don't get a lot of them, but that's how everyone has, that's where the histories of even very kind of modern writers, this is how people have been trained. This, These were the examples that we were given. I didn't read very many things outside this type of narrative form. I mean, until graduate school. Um, and even then, you know, it had to be pushed on, right? So so, but also fitting the time, like fitting for the time period in which the story is set. I think it kind of makes sense. It would be it would be wonderful to read something that is completely um, that completely subverts this type of style and the and the type of of storytelling. But um, I don't know how to engage Hugo and Borges and tell it from the female perspective. And if someone can do that, please, I would love to read that work. Um, Me too.
0: That's a really great way of putting it. You know, I think. Um what I want to say about plays um is that there's still um obstacles to reading and watching plays you know going to see plays I think there have been a few that um uh playhouses that have done a really great job during uh quarantine on sort of making it more accessible um using technology um but like plays to buy plays <laughs> um it is generally more expensive than buying a novel and harder. So, you know, I do wish that there was a sort of more accessible way of um, publishing and licensing plays so that people could just read plays. Um, it's like screenplays. I mean, you, you don't read screenplays, but um, and, and, and more ways that we could participate in plays because the other thing about plays and that kind of storytelling is that, you know, it's also the time that you're sort of there with the characters, you know, whereas this novel, which is very long, you put down and you come back to, and you put down and you come back to. And part of plays is that, you know, it's about the time that you're spending too. Um, You know, there's part of me that, that wanted to hope that he was making fun of um, the sort of female tropes um in these novels, but I don't think he actually gets there. I wanted that, you know and and I think because there was a little bit of um humor surrounding um you know this sort of dark humor uh that he sort of poking fun at it, but I don't feel like he gets there enough that I actually believe that
1: <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but I was going to say, uh, Sophie might be the one female character who has, um, who has a bit of interest, who's, who's interesting and who has some, um, who's, who's got some of her own mind, at least, um, you know, she leaves, she leaves her man, you know, she comes to town and has a job and she sort of makes her own way, at least in part. Um, so just, I was just looking, flipping through the book and thinking about Sophie, um. As possibly one of the women who's a little more nuanced.
0: But because she has so much more um, autonomy in some ways, she's also physically punished by her husband and her partner. And so you know that,
1: There goes that theory. No, I mean,
0: <laughs> I mean, it's true. But I mean, you know, that's why I, I think that's actually why I was like, is he making a commentary on... Sort of masculinity and femininity, and the way you know it's all about the male gaze and it's all about the male quest. And and um,
1: you're so generous,
0: but but I don't think it's actually, I mean, and I will say that I have read so there's a prequel which is called Angels in the Mist, which is about the house, um, but I don't remember anything about it so. <laughs>
2: And, and 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 yeah, I can talk about you know, here's what he didn't write, but I'd rather talk about what he did, you know, right. and that's that like this is the book he wrote, and yeah. and I think, and I think it's wonderful for what it's doing because what he does take on is is circularity or pattern, right? You know, mm-hmm. and and the way things repeat. Mm-hmm. I always go back to Borges because I feel like um, reading Borges is what is what continuously teaches me to read and how to reread. And he has the story of the Aleph, um, and the Aleph is the first letter in the Sumeric alphabet and Hebrew alphabet and a number of other alphabets too, um, in which there's this kind of spherical thing, it's magical, like the spherical thing at the bottom of a stairwell that encompasses the whole world kind of in one moment. And I am not, paraphrasing well enough to describe Borges um, in three sentences. But anyway, the story of the Aleph kind of fascinates me because, because what it shows is the limits of language because there is no one language to describe the entirety of the human experience, right? And so what he's getting at is that we start with this cemetery of forgotten books and there's things in the books and then the name of the book is the name of this book and then the character in the book is also the person on the street. And there's this kind of layers and layers that kind of go with it, right? And, um, it's much more complex than can be captured. And so, when I'm glad to hear there's a prequel that's about the house, because the house has a history, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the manjou um cemetery has a history. And there are these spaces that are that are kind of, their own little alephs, right, if you will, that where all this stuff kind of comes to cohere and converge, right, and that in itself is magical, so even though he's like, oh, friends disappear because of life, you know, I'm like, no, it's you, right, you know, but there's this feeling of, of it's all moving, and, and I can't describe it in one way, and mm-hmm. I'm unsurprised surprised that he's like, I need five, you know, I need a prequel, I need three sequels, because he, um what what Borges can encapsulate in a I don't know eight page short story he's going to write 2500 pages on right in order to try and to try and do that um a la Victor Hugo right you know um and so so anyway I think it's um when I think of them together I don't know what I would call this course if I were teaching it um time is not what you think it is maybe that might be the name <laughs> and um, and by the end i don't know what with the thesis there wouldn't be has, asking questions not making an argument right um and so, time has
0: no meaning
2: time has no meaning um good luck making sense of it everything's and happening time at time once and-
0: um, you're good that, and
2: evil yeah right but in that process of confusion we take the the binaries and the antithesis of the light and the dark and the shadows and this and he's dead oh actually he's alive right you know um and he's a spy but he's a stand-up character and and all of this together and you have to figure out how to negotiate it mm-hmm. right that is the human experience right so um um so when the world looks like binaries mm-hmm. you're maneuvering within
0: it right um and so most of the book fumero is just this purely evil sort of javert like character until we learn you know that you know he in many ways was abused as a child and made fun of by all the kids and you know had this tragic heartbreak that he's living with and you sort of feel bad for him well, I did. I felt bad for him. And that, you know, it isn't um that he was more of a complex character than initially we thought he was. I, I I'm I'm there with you. I like that.
2: May I ask both of you, did you find pleasure in reading this book?
1: I did. I really enjoyed it. I really did. I thought it was very funny. I laughed out loud. Um mm-hmm. I um I really enjoyed it. I there were parts that I wished would have gone a little faster okay. um, some of the stories people told I, those were a little long um but i i really enjoyed it i um i think i'm um i'm not as i'm not that complicated of a person especially when i'm reading right like it's a good story like it's you're dying to know who is julian right and you know is he alive is he dead i you know you assume you know you make assumptions so there was a lot that fell into place for me um I thought it was scary. I thought some of the parts were scary and I really enjoy scary stories. I was shocked surprised that Penelope was his sister. Excuse me, but I <laughs> I fell off. I texted Aubrey. I was like, get out. I Did anybody, did you guys see that coming? I did not see that coming. Shocked. I'm still shocked. I still don't really get it. Um, but anyway, so I enjoyed it. What'd you guys think?
0: I don't have any idea how what the age difference between Penelope and I've been saying Julian, but Julian, like I don't, I don't know. Um, yes, I, the first time I read it, I was shocked. This time, I was not, <laughs> um, because I, as I was reading, I remembered. But
1: but about Julian and uh, Penelope, something made sense then. Um, why they could see each other in their dreams. Right. I couldn't figure that part out. Um, And I'm assuming it's because they were siblings and had possibly, you know, were they not, they were not, I don't know, in the womb together then you're saying there, I thought maybe she had twins.
0: See that it does kind of feel like they're twins, but that's not what, I mean, it seems, it seems like Julian was Sophie's son with the father.
2: No, they never had sex. Right. Yeah. So she she gets pregnant by someone else, and that's why he goes into the rage and Oh
0: um, not, not Antonin, oh, the, not um, Penelope's God. father, whose name I can't think of right this second.
1: Got it, got it, got it. I'm sorry, like, go ahead.
0: Um but that Penelope is um his wife's daughter. So he's the the father, and that's how they're they're half brother and sister.
1: Oh but
0: there is a lot that makes me think that they were twins. They look wow. like the dreams, but I still have that. Like I thought that they were twins, but they're not.
2: Well, that's twins. because Luke and Leia are twins. Yeah, dude, when twins. you said that. But, but as we go forward um, into our more um, contemporary Star Wars um, versions, we have Ray, who mm-hmm. is a Palpatine and who can share visions with um Adam Driver, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Adam, who is descended from Carrie Fisher, um, and 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 Han Solo, flipping <laughs> we'll in and out of character and name. Do you know Skywalker. what I mean? So sometimes, thank you, thank you, Skywalker. That's that's very good. Um, so that that is where. So the connection can be there when it's strong and when it's sensual, right? It can cross into that. So. Um, we don't know. And and that's where I think Caroline your question of like I wanted to see how they describe Daniel, right? We get such we get such specificity and such right. detail about like clothing and moments and this, right? And then other times I'm like, wait, who are they? Like how are they related? What do they look like? And right. and that to me is part of the the wonderful, what we don't get in plays is the heavy exposition, right, that grounds us. We don't get three pages that describe a, a, a room. And so one of the pleasures was kind of reworking my mind to be like, wait, there is nothing, there's no action, gonna, no action will occur for eight pages and I'm just supposed to get into the setting. And yeah. that is one of the wonders of, of the pleasures of novel reading, right? Mm-hmm. That you can just get into it like that and then boom, the action starts up again and you're like, whoa. <laughs> where did that come from? And so I, anyway, it, it really, I was surprised for myself how much I felt as if I had to practice a different style of reading. Mm. I didn't realize I had gotten so far away from it. And I was thinking this book came out, I'm like, what was I reading in 2004? I'm like, well, um, someone gave me as a gift, um, a copy of the Da Vinci Code. Mm. and. which was this big, thick book that I read in, you know, one night because it kind of reads like a page turner, right? And everybody was reading those Harry Potter novels, Mm -hmm. right? And they all dealt with, you know, mysterious things you had to figure out with what I call hidden archives or, or libraries, you know? And there was all this kind of like, I can solve this ancient, you know, um book based type of thing, and the women, quite frankly, were all secondary. I didn't go far in the Harry Potter series, so maybe they they get more developed. Um, but earlier on, um no, this was the literature of of the turn of of the century, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, that's kind of where I was going back to. I was like, um yeah. Maybe they'll be part of my my new course of time is, time is irrelevant. Time
0: doesn't make sense. Time doesn't make sense. Um, And, you know, I think you're right. The the turn of the century was full of a lot of these very popular things that, that did center on some of these, these themes. Um, And, you know, is that because we were going into a new century and we're sort of like, what are we going to how are we producing knowledge how do we keep um keep the knowledge that we have and um i did have a lot of pleasure reading this even the second time um even though yeah i think um there's definitely a lot about it that you know i wanted to punch him
2: one thing i will say is about the value of books, right? Like that that we get from page one, right? That this is about the the love of that. And then when, for me, you know, kind of they make fun of films and they're only good for like kind of a centralizing or comedic thing. And they, and they have this one line about TV, like, you know, we're not gonna die by killing each other in war. It'll be like bad jokes made about, you know, television or something. I'm paraphrasing horribly. Um, and- That and, did and-
0: feel very uh, premonition of the last four years. <laughs>
2: but but also back i mean he's writing this and it gets published in 2001 right and when i think about where we were with ideas about technology and how we get stories right the whole concept of, of let's say zoom theater right um or like just simply wasn't something i could have imagined at the time and so there was a concern about the value of books that that seems so slight and um compared to what we might have now, right? You know, but even but just kind of that that as part of the way of learning and connecting to other people, that it's the stories that brought him to other people, right? That that is it was the the getting the book that really kind of caused him to go out into the world, to meet to meet Clara, to fall in love, to like that's what got him engaging with the world was having read this old book that was that was in a cemetery, right? That was dead. And so so not to go allegorical because i don't think it is but like something that has been dead and buried that was supposed to be burned that was never supposed to be around that's in this mysterious place that he can't talk about is what brings him into the world right and gives him connection um and that many of the characters are connected through through literature or through the literary stories and that's why when different people eulogizing the author and so forth are connecting him to all these different writers. They're doing actually what his characters are doing in this book, you know? And I'm like, yeah, it does continue. So um, I just thought it was really great, you know, in that sense that,
0: um, yeah. I'm a sucker for metafiction, metafiction too. So, you know, I um, one of my favorite books we're gonna read for um, October, uh, it's House of Leaves, which is a very LA novel, but it's a story within a story within a story. You know, it's a, about a guy who finds a manuscript written by a blind man uh, about a film, and then you get to read the manuscript about the film. So you're, you know, reading the you know academic work about a film, and learning you know getting quotes from the film and. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm a sucker. So I, I love a book within a book, within a book, within a, um, I feel like I didn't, we, I I wanted to know a little bit more about the actual book that he finds the shadow of the wind, but I felt we got, you know, enough of it, uh, to get the gist. Um, so I feel like we're running out of time. So, um, we, you know, Carla, you sort of asked, you know, whether we had pleasure reading it, but did you like the book?
2: I did. And for my first, first novel in, or second novel in a decade, um, I'm glad it was this one. And uh, yes, I did. I I enjoyed it. Um, And
0: I did. And Caroline, I'm guessing you liked it too.
1: Yeah, I did. I'd like to read it again, like I said, and then um, I think I'll be able to make better connections but yeah i really enjoyed it
0: did you like it aubrey i did um i liked it less the second time um and i don't know if that's because i'm you know a less romantic adult (laughs) i'm 20 years um i did read it when i was younger and um yeah so i'm not sure and you know i think i was disappointed because in my um in my mind, the Cemetery of Forgotten Books is um, much more magical than it actually was when I came to reread it. So it's something that my mind took and then sort of expanded on. Um, but I didn't, you know, in my mind, it was part of the book. Um, but yeah, I like the book. Um, who should read
1: it? I think it's a great. I think it's a great fiction novel for anybody who's who wants a. You know, it's like a. A long vacation read. Yeah. It's a I good think. beach read. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's a little long. Things. It's a little long, but it's got those, all the things. I think it's enough. There's enough um, intrigue, you know, and that you could be a detective, you know, interested in. I think there's a lot of, it's got a lot of um, wide interest. I think people would enjoy it. I, I agree and i feel like
2: when i read it again on the list of things to read i i think for me the the pleasure of reading it will be what i pair it with before afterward mm-hmm. and it could be the maltese falcon it could mm-hmm. be and an American <laughs> Echo story, and each time that will bring out different aspects of what this is about, or or what, or it will give me a different reading every time because I agree there's so much in it, um, and it just depends on which kind of time in my life I'm reading something else, or who I am, or what what the focus is. But
0: yeah, and so um, I think Caroline, you should go first. Do you have a favorite line or passage?
1: So that was very hard for this one for me. I know, um, right? Yeah, and I, I have parts. I, I, there was a lot of things that I thought were really funny. So I will just say overall, those were my favorite lines because I thought um, uh, he. I thought you know, Fermin was a hilarious character, and some of the stuff he said made me laugh out loud. Um, but I'm going to say this line that I was going to talk about earlier. Um, the first line in chapter three. Which is, um, and it will give a, for people who haven't read it, it will really tell you what kind of a book, what how the writing is in this book. Um, that afternoon of mist and drizzle, Clara Barcelo stole my heart, my breath, and my sleep. In the haunted shade of the Ateneo, her hands wrote a curse on my skin that wasn't to be broken for years. <laughs> Love the romance of that. That's uh, it just, that would stay with me. I do love that. Um,
0: Carla, do you have another one that you wanna I, read?
2: Yes, and I'm cheating, cause I'm gonna give two, um, and they're from completely different parts of, of the novel, which is um, almost 500 pages. So the first is like from page 76 and the, the other is page, from page 385, but I paired them together. Well, you'll see. So when he first kind of goes into the book or to the cemetery, He says, as I walked in the dark through the tunnels and tunnels of books, I could not help being overcome by a sense of sadness. I couldn't help thinking that if I, by pure chance, had found a whole universe in a single unknown book, buried in that endless necropolis, tens of thousands more would remain unexplored, forgotten forever. I felt myself surrounded by millions of abandoned pages, by worlds and souls without an owner, sinking in an ocean of darkness while the world that throbbed outside the library seemed to be losing its memory day after day unknowingly feeling all the wiser the more it forgot that to me is it right there and if i can ruin that with something that he writes later on (laughs) um and talking about the um well he writes he preferred to have julian believe that uh, believe that lie and rebuild his life in the shadow of a betrayal then have to present him with the truth. And there's something about the shadows and living a life in the shadows and what's unknown and a world going on outside of you and what's you find within that those two lines together, those two passages, I think I would need to meditate on and consider seriously um, um, as the, the forces that that the author is getting at.
0: So it's interesting because the passage that I picked out um, goes along with that. Um, The last days of the war were the prelude to an inferno. The city had lived through the combat from afar, like a wound that throbs drowsily, with months of skirmishes and battles, bombardments, and hunger. The spectacle of murders, fights, and conspiracies had been corroding the city's the city's heart for years. But even so, many wanted to believe that the war was still something distant, a storm that would pass them by. If anything, the weight made the inevitable worse. When the storm broke, there was no compassion. Nothing feeds forgetfulness better than war, Daniel. We all keep quiet. And they try to convince us that what we've seen, what we've done, what we've learned about ourselves and about others is an illusion, a passing nightmare. And that struck me as such a, I think it goes with the line that you talked about the, um, you Caroline talking about, um, that the world wasn't going to end, um, you know, with a bang, it was going to end in banality and a constant joke. Um, I think that's a theme that sort of keeps coming up in his dismissal of television. Um, But ultimately, you know, this is it also feels like a story about stories, storytelling Um, and how important that is for memory, too. That that's how, you know, a cultural memory is passed down. That's how we, you know, uh, that's how, you know, Daniel learns to be a man (laughs) from the stories that other men are telling him. Um, to the importance of stories. Um,
1: What are you reading next? We're reading The Imposter Syndrome for my next um, Oh, Have you heard of it? I have heard of
0: it. I have not read it. It's on my
1: list, but you have to tell me if I should read it. I will. Let me give you the author for the people. Um, It just came out. It's like a brand-new 2021 novel, Um, and it's about – like people who work in tech and um, one of them is a, um, it's uh, one of them is a, a spy. I think it's written by Kathy Wing, So that's what we're reading next for our little book. club.
0: Carla, are you reading a, a play next <laughs> or some theory?
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm teaching
2: the summer session right now. So right now I'm teaching Shakespeare. So um, next week is the Scottish play, but uh, so I'll reread that as always. But um but I'm also in process of of doing some writing about acting and um, producing Shakespeare um, in the United States. So I have some more kind of historical essays to read about that. But I do hope to read another novel before another ten years passes. So these so, <laughs> are so much fun. I <laughs> know, and it and it, it honestly transported me back to like a where I read novels, you know, and and sometimes sometimes teaching literature or or making your profession the thing that you love, which I'm so glad that I did, Um, I don't get to read the other stuff that that I know is out there. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh,
0: So I have started reading The the Brutish Museum by Dan Hicks, No Relation. Um, And I'm very, very excited to read about sort of the colonial violence that museums have uh, inflicted upon. The world, um, I know it sounds terrible. I'm really excited to read about the colonial <laughs> Um I think it's going to have uh, a lot, lot to it. It's already sparked a lot of conversation among uh, museum folks. So I'm, I'm really excited to read that. Um, and I am revisiting um, a, a mystery series that I read, uh, I don't know, a million years ago, um, it feels like, um, by Stephen Booth. Um, It is a mystery. It's the the Cooper and Fry mysteries. Uh, Cooper, Ben Cooper, and Diane Fry. So, um, set in like a little town. Um, I want to say in England, but it could be not in England. It could be Scotland. I have no idea. Edendale. I assume it's England. Um, Very, very uh, British in a way. Um, And I'm really enjoying that. Um, Because everything winds up happy and tied in a bow at the end. We get the murder, they go <laughs> to <ruin. laughs> I like when that happens. Um, so I think that's all we have time for today. So I wanted to thank you so much, Caroline and Carla, for joining me today. This is a really fun conversation. And a big thank you to our listeners. We hope that you are reading along with us and that you're enjoying the conversations. Again, we're reading The British Museum by Dan Hicks, who is not related to me. To find the whole suite of podcasts, exploring governance and civics, search USC Bedrosian on your favorite podcast app. And if you want to look at some of the links that we've, uh, to things that we've talked about today, visit the website, which is bedrosian.usc.edu slash book club. And thank you to my co-producer, Jonathan Schwartz, and our beloved sound editors, The Brothers Hedden. Signing off, I'm Aubrey Hicks, coming to you from Southern California. And until next time, be good to yourself and your neighbors.